Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. But we're not going to be talking about comics so much tonight, just kind of an offshoot. Uh, tonight is all about Legion. For those who don't know, Legion is the latest television series based off a comic adaptation. Uh, Legion is based off of X-Men, and specifically a character named David Howler, uh, who is the main protagonist in Legion, which uh, just wrapped up its first uh, season on FX and leaves us for one hell of a second coming up. Uh, well, we don't quite know when, but uh, it's going to be really interesting. We've got a guest, uh, Leonardo Fairman, uh, will be joining us uh, in a moment to talk about the series. But before we really dive into things, let me introduce my co-host, Alana. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. I want to thank everyone who joined in hashtag politics chat last week on Twitter. We had a couple hundred folks sitting in the conversation, sorry, between 100 and 200, uh, talking about uh, Ms. America and Ms. Marvel and depictions of brown superhero ladies in comics and the significance of that. Uh, we'll definitely be doing some more Twitter chats moving forward. Talk, connecting people working in activism and advocacy, uh, in general resistance to the Trump administration, to comics fans and geek culture fans, and we'll, we'll be keeping the conversation going, keeping the hashtag alive. So stay tuned uh, for a future event coming up, and uh, I'll be able to share more about that very soon. All right. So before we dive into things, uh, I'm going to uh, introduce... Our guest, Leonardo, was born in Buenos Aires, raised in Queens on the playground. is where he planned most of the schemes. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. I, I really, the whole time, I'm like, I won't do the rhyme. I won't do the rhyme, but I'm of that generation that has to do it. Uh, so yeah. He writes video, video game music, comic and movie reviews at Black Girl Nerds and other websites. He uh, writes a comic book and, uh, and co-hosts podcast uh you can check them out on black comic chat as well live on twitter every other friday welcome to the show thanks for for joining us hey right on can you guys hear me yeah yeah you sound good you sound okay fantastic. Right. sweet yeah so no one, no one has to know that like i literally slipped in here like by the second <laughs> all right good yeah no no i'm good all my levels were checked we're all perfect I, yeah, I'm professional and, enough to to get it down to the delay. It's like, all right, just just figure out how to delay it until the guest in. We get we have no problems. <laughs> so yeah, um, I connected with Leo. I connected with Leo on Twitter about the show because um, he I had not seen a ton of folks in the geek side of the world talking about Legion, and I thought what uh, Leo had tweeted was very intelligent. And I do think that it's not a coincidence, though, that there hasn't been as much comics world conversation about the show as there has been conversation in the uh, television geek, not television geek, sorry, the, the TV obsessive TV critic community. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there isn't much of the comic in it, which I'm fine with, but is something we should probably address first off the bat since we're all comics fans on this show as well. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's super interesting. It's actually a really good point. So I mean, that's probably actually where I kind of wanted to start with everyone was like, how familiar are you with Legion and his history and the comics and all that? 
Um, uh, personally, like I, I'm, I'm notoriously lousy with keeping up with capes. Um, I don't buy a lot of superhero <laughs> books, uh, these days. Um, it, the, like my superhero kind of home is probably Valiant. I'm like a total Valiant obsessive and Valiant's kind of yeah. a weird superhero place. Yeah. I'm like, I'm wild about Valiant, but as a kid, like I grew up with Marvel. Um, I grew, you know, I grew up loving the X-Men. I was definitely a Marvel boy and not a DC boy when I was a kid. Uh, so like I, you know, you have that thing though, right? Like when, like I'm growing up with Marvel, like I'll go watch Deadpool, even though I wasn't obsessively collecting Deadpool way back in the day, because you kind of, if you know Marvel, you can kind of pick up anything that they're putting down. If there's a Marvel movie with a character you're not a hundred percent familiar with, you know enough about the universe and about the general uh, rhythms and tropes that Marvel uses. So you're comfortable, but I mean, I haven't read a Legion, a book with Legion in it in probably at least 10 years. I would say. Yeah. I mean, for me, obviously I'm a huge comics fan, including Kate books, but I almost skipped the show because from the advertisements, it was just clear to me that this had nothing to do with superhero comics. And in the Mm. end of the day, I don't watch a ton of TV dramas, but when I saw that the show was very, very stylized and that the show um, was going to be visually unique, that's what made me decide to watch it in the end of the day. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad I did. Uh, you know, I'm not someone who's particularly attached to the character Legion. Mm-hmm. I, like, as much as I, like, love Claremont X-Men, like, I didn't read those particular stories with any strong attachment. I did not read the Cyberior stuff, though it sounds like it was good. I am someone, though, who came into the show really hoping that we would have a character who had both, who both had, um, a, a, you know, some form of neuroatypical uh like situation, whether it was schizophrenia or dissociative personality disorder or something, and mm. also had superpowers. Like I had an agenda of I want a character who's both <laughs> of those things. Um, and that was another thing that I came into the show uh, with a lot of strong feelings about. And I, I'm, we can definitely talk about that later on. But I am, but I'm not someone who's like sitting here being like, this is not representing the comic that I grew up loving. Therefore, I'm right. like, that's not why I'm coming from at all. And I, it, but it's partially because I'm not a big, I don't really care about the particular issues or characters it's based on, so I don't feel shorted in any way. I think that this is a unique visual and artistic statement and a very, very good show. Awesome. Yeah, you and I went back and forth about the, the uh, show a lot and about how it diverged from the, the comic series. Uh, yeah, so for me, longtime X-Men fan and you know, I've just been doing the math. It's probably been close to 30 years of reading X-Men. So fairly familiar with the character, but I have like no attachment whatsoever. I always thought it was a really underused or not used correctly character. Um, mm-hmm. Even with the, the Spirier uh, run, was, which was interesting, though, you know, I always liked him as a villain, not a superhero. So seeing him in that role on the television series is a, is a little bit odd. Um, but yeah, it's one where... You know, I, I read tons of stuff with him, but I have like no attachment whatsoever to him as a character and generally thought he's just definitely like B-list, if not C-list. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting uh, because I, I feel like we all we all came into this with shades that are probably somewhat similar to Noah Hawley because I don't think he has an attachment to the character either. Like he took no. on this show yeah. as kind of like something unexpected. 
And I, I was surprised to hear he did grow up reading X-Men. Like, that is not something I assumed from the show at all. Um, <laughs> definitely because, like, the whole conceit of, like, is it superpowers or, like, the whole conceit of, like, do you have superpowers or is there something, quote, wrong with you, quote, <clears throat> has been done to death in the genre. So, and it sort of seems like this is a show that acts like that hasn't already been discussed a lot of the time. I, I think the show does a better job of it than other things, which is why I'm happy with it. But I was surprised to find that he did grow up reading X-Men. Um, that that was that would not, and, and I don't really care either way. But I I thought I'd share that since it did get. I I was surprised to find that out. Yeah, um, I mean, like, but but you see, like, I mean, he's like creating characters from whole cloth, and just like it's mm-hmm. it seems like largely in the show he's dispensing with the types of expectations that like we're presuming that some people may approach it with, or may approach any comic book show with, specifically a Marvel comic book show. Um, yeah, he it it seems like that's not really like high on his to-do list. And I thought that there'd probably be more Easter eggs to, so to speak to like very mm-hmm. obscure X men universe characters or phenomena. And there wasn't any, like Fine, I thought like we'd none. see Doc Samson. <laughs> like I thought we'd see like Doc Samson. From yeah. Home, that could like, have been some good. With green hair. I have so many thoughts about Dr. Samson, God. But, um, and, uh, but about halfway through the show, I was like, oh, you know, that's just not going to happen. That's fine. But I was kind of shocked. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought it. Now, go on, Brett. It was interesting. So, yeah. So I was going to say with the, what was interesting with the series that the first like six episodes didn't do that at all. And it wasn't until like the sixth or seventh when they actually started hinting at the, the comics uh, more right. and more, which I thought was really, really interesting with the eventual. Reveal. And partially, I think that's why the series was so successful. Uh, but even its references it's are, are so absurd that. Uh, no, I think they referenced his father. He hints at his father too. A lot. Oh, yeah, but they're not yeah. actually as Charles Xavier. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, is that, is that a fact? Is that factual? <laughs> uh, they're not. <laughs> I heard, I heard well, rumors so, that this was going to make connective tissue to, to the Fox X-Men uh, yeah. franchise. I heard rumors of that. I, I, I would be shocked. I think it sounds on its own so well. I, you know, oh, I felt like yeah, there, was yeah, sort yeah. Of, I, there was definitely <clears throat> visual similarities between the actress who plays Howler's sister, I guess Amy Howler, and how the show and how the comics have usually drawn Moira McTaggart, interestingly. And I thought huh. there might have been some, com, some Melanie Bird, Moira McTaggart alignment as well. Um, mm-hmm. I adore Jean Smart's character, uh, Melanie yeah. Bird. She's fabulous. I, Absolutely. I love having an interesting older woman who has her own like, complex emotional situation and is neither fully good nor fully bad, but is generally good. Like, there isn't really a lot of women characters with that kind of nuance. They're either, like, perfect or evil, and they're not really given that kind of complexity that much. Um, the whole story between her and her husband is, like, its own sort oh. of below, like, constant, like, romance tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. And her hair is a masterpiece. So <laughs> I, I, I thought that... Uh, I thought everyone's that I was, I, Everyone's hair is a masterpiece, it's true. Um, mm. So I thought that that was a bit of a, of a comic reference. But that, that's pretty much all I had from there. So the, yeah, the one no, thing that I, the one thing I really think is the the hardcore Xavier reference is the the amazing drawing. I think it's episode seven. The blackboard scene. The, yeah. yeah. The blackboard scene, and, and the person he's drawing is bald, and then has kind of like the telepathic stuff coming out. And I'm like, he's yeah, Xavier. He's Xavier. It's gotta be. Yeah, it's gotta be. It, it. is. So. It is. 
I think it yeah, was, if nothing not, else, it was a wink and a nod. Even if they don't go that direction, yeah. it's like wink and a nod. Yeah. 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 I kind of feel like like they like they will or might go into that direction. And yeah, I mean, like the show has gotten um, you know a certain level of, of critical attention. Although Alana, I would totally agree with you. Like it, the the communication that like I'm getting from you know uh, like the people I follow or the people in my communities and such is not. Like I've I've I'm become the the guy pressuring people to watch this show, and personally, like I didn't even truly intend to approach it. Like I saw it on you know subway ads and such, um, or like you know telephone booth ads, and I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've got like shades of they 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 did a they did a Generation X show they attempted to do on Fox back in the day. And I had like shades <laughs> yeah. of that. Ad, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I had to say like. Be like that, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like, but the thing is that what like what my own my failure of research um didn't yield until later was I didn't realize that this was Noah Hawley doing the show, and Fargo was mm-hmm. like my second favorite show of 2016. Um, first favorite being Quarry on Cinemax, which no one watched, even less people watched. Um, but when I I was like, whoa, wait, what? Like he, the Fargo guys? Okay, I'll, like I'll I'll watch him do. I mean, anything he could do a he could do a Disney cartoon, and I'm I'm guarantee you I would be there day one. And that's what pulled me. Like nothing to do with like the comics. Not that I have any bad feelings about you know X Men material, but when I found out he was involved, I needed to kind of see what was going on. And I like I to. To make a state, I don't know if this is the kind of statement you you leave for the end of the podcast, but to make a statement, I think this is my favorite comic book show of all time. Hmm. Wow, that's good. Yep. To, that's, I, I like I like knowing that. Hmm. Yeah, in spite of what you said about how there are no Easter eggs, <laughs> there are tons of made up characters. There's like <laughs> very little references, and it's probably my favorite comic book show of all time. And I've and I've I've spoken about this before to people. This idea that. Um, you know, sometimes, like especially now, not even you know, to dispensing with with the political uh, uh, kind of like hints at a statement like this, but we're experiencing an era of uh, very serious purity testing, and that also happens when it comes to like our comic book properties and our you know our pop culture cinema. And I'm always of the mind that, no, give the comic book movie, give Black Panther to Ava DuVernay. I know she said she said she, you know, that was on her and she didn't want to do it. Whatever. I still don't quite believe that. But give Black Panther to Ava DuVernay. Like, I don't care if she's never done a comic book movie. Like, that's exactly who I want to see directing stuff like Mm -hmm. this. And this is like, you know, this is like my point writ large. Uh, This show, you know, is something that I am so passionate about. I am so passionate. you know, just in favor of, and it, and the fact that it's somebody who um, I feel is approaching it like with a, not a, not a, not a huge investment in the comics or like what seems like a huge investment in the comic fans and pleasing them and kowtowing Uh to like, you know, their expectations. We get something like this and I'm like, all right, more of this. I want more just like this. Yeah. I mean, the show definitely does like, sorry, uh, the show definitely does scratch a couple of things that, I think are uh, fan friendly uh, mm. moments and interests that it has that I think make it become sort of a fanish show, even though it's not a comics show. I, I you know, I've just, a friend of mine who's one of my fellow Twin Peaks obsessives, I, about halfway through the season, I sent him an email to be like, oh, yeah, you'd probably like this also. Um, so it has, not that it's, like Twin Peaks, but that I think it's a fair guess that if you are interested in the shows that are strange and have a strong visual sensibility and kind of exist in a, it's not the 60s, it's not the 70s, and it's not now, it's kind of all of the above, 
um, <laughs> aesthetic moment. I, you know, I mean, that show was taking place in the 50s, 90s. This show was taking place in the, like, the, the late 60s, early 70s slash now. Um, I think that that yeah. sort of appeals to you as well. And it, so it, it has, and the music geek thing is in there, it, and I, which I, and, I, and in ways that I think are a mixed bag. So I, I does, mm. it, does, it does provoke sort of like loyalty and militant support amongst folks for those sort of aesthetic reasons, I think. Right, like a special kind of fan. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. I'm going to say the, the thing that really surprises me is the most successful live-action uh, comic adaptations are the ones that seem to really deviate from the source material, like, mm. or, or just break from what we've seen already live-action. Legion clearly breaks it. Deadpool definitely broke it. Uh, even though it was traditional like the comic, it wasn't like anything we've seen in movies before. Logan, I think, breaks the mold uh, in its own ways. Uh, Captain America uh, Winter Soldier broke the mold in many ways. And Riverdale, which is getting praised, breaks the mold in many ways. Like All those are live adaptations that definitely have their roots and their influences, but first and foremost are their own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was. I think that ultimately, like, basically, this is a way for the art for the writer to be able to have access to a budget that enables him to make something this visually noteworthy. And I appreciate that the studio let somebody make something that was, you know, had a visual character to it that wasn't generic, and let people spend money on those things. I mean, yeah, spent fuck tons of money about music, like. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I, I have I have lots of feelings about how music is used in shows. I often think that you know that they, shows could be making different economic decisions around their songs by choosing things that are less obvious and more and more intelligent with their relationship. Totally agree. But totally agree. I want I but um you know there's a there's a rubric that uh, TV critic Shanti Collins put out in one of a podcast he was on where he was saying like the show should also earn the songs that they use. Like, you don't get to just pull out a song that has a strong emotional connectedness and use it to make your episode sound like it has emotional heft if your episode doesn't actually earn it. Um, and I think the show's mostly earned the songs that it used. Um, yeah. You know, Happy Jack by The Who with, with that beginning uh, with that beginning intro. I was just glad that someone didn't use it. I mean, as much as that is one of their greatest hits, I'm glad they didn't use one of the three songs they always use. Okay, so that's that's that, Baba Yaga or um, Baba mm-hmm. Baba O'Reilly. Baba O'Reilly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, yep. the 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 kid the streets the oh, I can't remember the name of the no 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 that is Baba O'Reilly the friggin' yes, you know, the song from the intro of that cop show which I yes can't oh, remember. That's, that's that song Baba O'Reilly yeah. that song yeah. yep uh, yeah but so <laughs> I was glad they didn't do that even though it is the greatest hit but I think the pacing of it works really well and it was a great way to sort of tell his brief story. You know, like when they went for the stones, they they used choose a rainbow in a way that I thought was really like romantic and apt. Mm. Signing off with um, the wonderful Jermaine Clement with Children of the Revolution, one of my favorite T-Rex songs. As yeah. That was a great little move. But the smartest thing it did with music was the episode that ended with, um, it was actually a cover, and I don't remember the name of the artist who did the cover, darn it. But somebody covered the Bowie song, Oh You Pretty Things. And it was on the the outro of the episode. Uh, it was like a it was like a, a folk music almost cover it, 
And the important thing about the song is, I mean, huh. the song is, oh, you pretty things that you know you're making your mamas and papas insane. Got to make it plain. Got to make way for the homo superior. So this was Bowie singing about <laughs> superheroes and the Superman manifesting itself on Earth and how the people alive today weren't ready for it. And that was a metaphor he used in a lot of his work uh, and mm-hmm. just fitting it to this perfectly, but doing it in a very quiet way and making it be about the lyrics of the song rather than being about, oh, hey, everybody look at David Bowie, I thought was really smart. Um, and I'm sure it's also cheaper for it to not be David Bowie, but I, I do think it was also a choice to say, we're going to make this music, this musical outro on the episode be about what this song is saying rather than having you just be like, it's Bowie. Yeah. Um, well, where where do you? Cause it sounded like you were saying that the that the music didn't always hit like that. Where were the moments that that it didn't do that? It didn't do that for you. It wasn't as nuanced as that. Well, I mean, you should ask. So, um, Dark Side of the Moon. They used the they used like yeah, I, yeah, and they shine on you, Crazy Diamond, and it's just like I I love Pink Floyd. I admit that I'm biased towards Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd. My research has showed me that Dark Side of the Moon as an album is very important to Noah Hawley. And he really wanted to use how, that, how the album looks at um, mental illness in the show. But I have to tell you something. Dark Side of the Moon is from the perspective of Sid Barrett, one of the co-founders of Pink Floyd, who basically left the band because he had psychiatric problems that were problematic for the band to be able to continue working. That album is from the perspective of his former bandmates who were sick and tired of dealing with his mental illness. So really, Dark Side of the Moon is not about actually experiencing mental illness. Dark Side of the Moon is about being a friend of someone who has mental illness. And it's not like Mm -hmm. really a great way at looking at mental illness because it's not through that lens. And the thing is, the show is through David Howard's perspective. Everything is from his perspective. So we're inside his head. I feel like it's a bit of a misread to say, oh, we're going to turn to Dark Side of the Moon to uh, to show us how to deal with this. And it's also overplayed. So I was hoping there'd be some Sid Barrett-era Pink Floyd in a more serious way. They named Sid after Sid Barrett. And I kind of was uncomfortable with that as well. Um, I mean, his life is really freaking tragic. He's a real person who died in, like, the late 2000s, you know. And I, I just thought that was a little bit... It was patting yourself on the back for knowing a reference that, let's face it, everybody knows already, and that it was sort of treating like a real person who had gone through real stuff, like they were sort of fictional in a way. And, I mean, it wasn't like, this isn't like terrible or anything, but I wasn't crazy about it. I also thought that Feeling Good, the Nina Simone song they used in that way, like I'm very pro-dance numbers. I thought the dance numbers in general were great. Yeah. I, I, like the old thing, like, you know, when, when, when words don't work anymore, the cast breaks into dance. I think that that's true and that was served. But I feel like Feeling Good just isn't really say what they thought it said there. But um, I don't know. I mean, how did you guys feel like about the music landing or, or not landing? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you in that certain selections were like strangely obvious. Um, and then like other stuff, like the, like the jazz number that Jermaine Clement plays, uh, which is like, I found jarring and awesome. Uh, and mm. I mean, like there were, there were, there were like, you know, specific, uh, specific moments where I feel like, you know, uh, I remember uh, this is, I, I don't know how random a reference this is, but like years ago, people heavily criticized Zach Braff for his soundtrack for garden state. 
um, specifically because uh, his description of like why he chose this specific soundtrack is because he's like, I don't know. I like the song. It felt good. Like that was it. He didn't like choose it because it, you know, it was draped on the dialogue that occurred when the song was playing. He didn't choose it because of some like deeper meaning or connection to the individual characters. He just chose it because it was kind of cool. The idea of like Sid being named after Sid Barrett, I think was just the absolute most surface level reference. And I don't think there's anything more to it than that. I don't think that, you know, it's like, no, dig deeper. And then you'll see he's really, it's like not. And it's strange for a show that I feel like goes beneath the surface in so many ways to make a reference like that. It's kind of like, really? I mean, okay. Like it's, I guess, kind of a cool name, but uh, yeah. Like when you're, when you're, when you're so thoughtfully applying, um, you know, intent and, and content to, to so many of the choices that you're making. That feels weird. I can't imagine he has a good answer for why he chose that name for her. Like, I, it's just, I, I refuse to believe it. I don't think he has one. I think it's just, like mm-hmm. you said, he likes Pink Floyd and was, you know, kind well, of, he's like putting does. a sticker on your binder. Yeah. 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 I mean, he said that like dark side of the moon, like he made everybody listen to dark side of the moon as if they freaking had it, whatever. And that mm-hmm. they wanted to sort of use the album's treatment of mental illness, but I just don't really see, that as being, I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, I think there would be there would have been better better buoys for for that topic than that album or that song or mm-hmm. that or using that name in for that character. Um, uh, I mean, but you know, like that being said, I like you said that. I mean, the dance numbers in the show I felt like were fantastic. I I I, I think like overall, um, I was into most of the music, and I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like Far- did you guys watch Fargo? I said this before. I no, know. I didn't. No. Did you, Brett? Uh, no, unfortunately not. I know I, I'm a bad geek for no. It, I'm, dude, like no one watched it. No one watched it. I mean, I'd have to be as mad at you guys for not watching Corey. And I know neither of you watched Corey, and Corey was the best show of 2016. But yeah. anyway. Um, I mentioned Fargo because, like, I don't particularly remember, like, a bunch of, like, real punch-in-the-gut music moments in that show. It's not really what it was about. Um, so it fe- it felt like he's, you know, having 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 fun, you know, in this in this particular show because of, like, its, its, uh, its veneer and, like, its aesthetic qualities that he could, you know, get a little wilder with the music. He or the people involved with, you know, so I, I doubt it's all him that's liking the music, but... Um, yeah, so it I you know I guess he's gonna maybe like make some floods in his first time out of making a super music inspired, uh, you know, uh, theme or mot- or series of motifs, um, but it doesn't stop the show from being my favorite comic book show ever. <laughs> it still doesn't, but it mm-hmm. is a, it is a little a little off putting at times. Now, one of the reasons I asked you is because you were saying some interesting stuff about how the show handles relationships. And I oh, really yeah. think that what was I do think the way the show really prioritizes interpersonal relationships is unique and special. So can you talk a little bit about? That? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think that uh, that that David and Sid's relationship is, you know, 100 percent the anchor of the show. It's the thing that kind of pulled me through something that I've that I've talked about the show before um, is that like. I, I liked it from episode one and I've since gone back to the first few episodes and watched them again to like find appreciation and it's there, but I was distrusting of a number of things going on. So even like where there were like things about the show that I liked, even if I liked 80% of the show, I'm like, they're going to fuck something up real soon. They're going to do something really clumsy. This relationship thing can't possibly last in a, 
in a, you know, in a profound way or like in a significant or interesting or thoughtful way all the way throughout the eight episodes. And then it was like past the halfway point of the show is when I actually started to trust it. You know, I got past Mm -hmm. that, you know, trauma of like, no, it's going to, Oh God, I'm going to like invest so much in this. It's going to totally blow it. Um, And yeah, I mean like in their, their particular relationship um, is, I mean, to me, like really, really meaningful and really profound and and really insightful Um, as somebody who like got out of like a serious relationship, like, you know, about like half a year ago or less ago. um, You know, these are things that are like omnipresent on my mind. There are like there's there's moments in the show that punched me square. Uh, The moment when Sid hugs David's like child manifestation, like where it's kind of like she's breaking a rule Mm -hmm. in a way to like do it. Um, and you know, like before that there, you know, uh, Patonomy has a lecture, gives a lecture to her, uh, gives a lecture to David as well about like, well, you don't, you know, go fucking around in memories too much cause it's kind of dangerous or whatever, but it's like, that just happens because it sort of had to happen. Like that was a connection based on the fact that she couldn't touch him cause they hadn't developed the, the kind of room they, they build later together. Um, but also just because it's just something she had to do. And it's something that like his childhood manifestation had to do. And that was extremely touching to me. And I was like, you know, this is like almost you know, there's, there are things in the show that almost like cheat stuff about the difficulties with significant others. Um, another example is uh, when just the, the, you know, the plot point of them swapping bodies. And then like mm-hmm. later on, this is like, I want to say two episodes after it happens, they're, they're sitting on the swings, which of course is like, you know, this like childhood allegory practically, um, but they're sitting on the swings and talking to each other, not touching. And like, instead of uh, they, they, that's the first time they talk about their body exchange. And when they speak about it, like they're, it's like they can't touch each, they can't physically relate to each other, but they have this like really, uh, you know, romantic conversation about being each other, about being in each other's bodies. And like he was like, oh, I touched your breasts, you know, when I was you, like I'm sorry, I just need to admit that, whatever. And then like she's like, oh, I touched your dick. No, it's just psych. I didn't really touch your dick. And and that whole like that whole exchange is like. That, that that also really, really struck me because just based on like sometimes the difficulty of two people um, in a relationship, totally regardless of gender, and how like they oftentimes have difficulty in living in each other's shoes even for five seconds to understand one's position in an argument. And these people, oh. again, they got to sort of cheat that. Mm-hmm. They got to literally be each other. Beyond that, I mean, them being each other was extremely destructive to life and limb for others, <laughs> but they did still have that moment to share. Um, and then, you know, and like, I mean, honestly, my favorite uh, line in the entire show, which is I actually wrote it down here so I wouldn't mess it up. My favorite line in the entire show that like almost made me cry, like got really close to it was um, after they've already sexually connected in their in their, you know, like mind space. Um, they, you know, she tells him, promise me that if we get lost, we get lost together, which I think is one of the most beautiful things a partner uh-huh. has ever said to a partner in a TV show. Um, <laughs> it's so simple, uh, but I mean, like so aching and so, and so accurate. And so like indicative of, you know, where their relationship has developed up to that point. I think that's episode five or six, maybe when that happens. Um, and I was like, okay, you guys got me, you guys got me. I'm here. I'm here for this. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this, in this romantic situation. And I like, although I, I confess that I'm a romantic in a lot of ways, I'm not really the type that like loses myself on like character relationships and shows. I'm not, I'm picky. I'm strange with it. Uh-huh. I usually just dispense with it at some point um, in the course of watching, or I just realize how, you know, like flimsy or, or artificial it is. And with them, like, I just felt like they built it uh, to a really real place. 
where, you know, um, it's, 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 that's, that's the sense, like the show to me is a love story in a lot of ways. Can I say though, I was really disappointed when it turned, when the fact that her a phobia about being touched mm. stopped when it was no longer a protective need to, because of her superpowers, I would have loved nothing more for it to be something which existed outside of her power set and for him to continue to respect that about her. Um, I hear that. I hear that. But I also took that. That would have been unique. So I'm a person, I actually generally don't like being touched. Like I'm very (laughs) off put by people. Like it's just bizarre. You can ask my wife about it. I've taken forever to get over it. So I'm not a touchy feely person to begin with. So I actually took that as someone who's been boxed off and caged in her life and hasn't been able to do this. And here she has the opportunity to do that. And she's going over the top because it's been such a void. Um, They didn't really show that as much, but like kind of being in those shoes in a weird way, like that was the way I took it. Cause I know at points where I'm comfortable, I can go over the top with it just because it's so much a void in other ways. Um, is, it, you know, is it, is it, would you hit. say like, is it because, like, where when you kind of open that, like, you just kind of want to stay there? You want to, like, live there since it's open, so, like, let me be there? Is that... Yeah, that's kind of the way I that took it. Was, it was, like... Yeah, that's kind of the way I took it was, like, a... I, I can't do it elsewhere. Here's my opportunity. Like, I'm going in for my Jones. I'm going to go get the hits just because I can't do it, you know, anywhere else. And I'm assuming that she wasn't like that all her life, so... You know, she's been kind of, there's just been a void and she's familiar with it, but hasn't been able to really do it. Um, well, I appreciated so, yeah, the I, show talking about, sorry. Yeah. Oh, good. I appreciated the show talking about her having had, I mean, I don't really quite know how to define her sexual encounter with her mom's boyfriend um, since it was yeah. not consensual oh, on his part. Yeah. Um, oh, let's talk about that. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> so, yeah. like, that, that is complicated as hell because that mm-hmm. does show you that she does have this interest that exists, you know. I mean, this is after the fact. Like, I really did love the show, like, respecting that she was saying no and him being like, okay. And then the one time he doesn't listen to her and kisses her anyway, he's the one that gets damaged. By having ignored her boundaries, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. But I, I do think, like, I, I do appreciate the show showing that the female character did have sexual interest and agency of her own, but also that she was capable of like doing that in ways that were like, you know, fucked up. Um, yeah. so there is this this yep. like, experimental thing that kids do. It, it, it was um, that's complicated, and there should probably be somebody saying something about it who's a little bit more attuned. Questions about consent than perhaps my own training has been, but no, I, I remember uh, when we were talking yeah. on Twitter, people were people were like discussing that, and I, I totally agree with you. Like, I would defer to like you know uh, specific individuals who could comment on that in detail. I, I took it, I think, the same way that you took it, in that it's uh, you know it, it reveals the complexity of superpowers in this like you know fucked up universe that we're talking about here where you know in in one case like a child who believes that they have agency it, you know doesn't really have a, a a a way to literally express it normally she did in her situation which is which is a scary thought you know like it's something that you know it she it means that like her age her 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 curiosity would overtake her agency in a way that may not be as, uh, you know, as, as, as straightforward for somebody who doesn't have the strange power that she has. 
Um, yeah, that that was that was complicated. I don't think that scene was like a, uh, a qualifier or anything. I think it was just complicated. It was just a yeah. an example of that. Did, did she What's she injured about? him? I'm trying to remember because I, I vaguely no, remember she, that she took over okay. she took over her mom's body and had sex with right. her boyfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, or like started to yeah. and then jumped out or something. Yeah. No, no, no. Because it was, it was the time wore out. Oh, oh, yeah. That was, and then she yeah, was in the, the place, and then mom yeah. was like, "Oh fuck, you're sleeping with my daughter. Like, I'm going to kill you because that's what you do." That's um, right. That's right. So he thought he thought he was sleeping with her. So the thing that was weird going into that scene, because I remember that was, I think that was fairly early on in the series and we didn't quite get a handle of everyone. I got like a rogue first X-Men movie off of that when she kisses her boyfriend yeah. and knocks him out. And that's where I thought yeah. they were going to go with it. And then they like turned it and totally took it in a different way. So, I mean, it was, that was, I think a really interesting was at the beginning of the series. And I think it was like, you're talking about like the, in roughly with swap the first time you're talking about like the, the big scene, like in the, in clockwork. Well, there was that. Yeah. Well, there was that. And then when she was talking about swapping with her mother, I, I thought, uh-huh. you know, I, I had some flashback or you know, some thoughts to the, the rogue scene as well. And I think at that point when I was watching the series, I was still wasn't sure, you know, how much is reality and how, like how much is David and David's mind and who's real uh-huh. and who's not. Yeah, so I think I was still kind of like, you know, dipping like my toes in that. Cause I, yeah, because the thing that was interesting in the beginning, when you, you just a little bit ago, when you were talking about the relationships, was in the in the beginning, I was having issues with it because I was convinced everyone was in David's mind, and <laughs> it didn't actually exist. Because coming from the comics, that makes totally sense. Total sense if they're going to riff like really hardcore comics, having all these people actually being manifestations of David. Uh, plays into the comics really well. So I, I, for a long time, I was in the, I'm not quite connected with this because I'm sure the rug's going to get pulled out, you know, under, out from under me and none of these people are real. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that could I be an alienated. Yeah. I think I was yeah, with was, you a, a little bit with that. Uh, so um, I, I, I have a show hand. Fascinating with people who haven't read the series. It kind of took that if, if they thought the same thing, but I, I'm going to guess no. I mean, I knew it was the Shadow King, but I also knew that it wasn't all in his head. I should have realized Lenny was in his head sooner than I did, but yeah. I did realize Same. Lenny was the demon very, very quickly. So sometimes I know things, sometimes I don't. But I, I didn't <laughs> think that they were—I didn't think they were all in his head. Um, but uh, I—but I, I actually wanted to talk about the mental health stuff in this. Like, I yeah. think you know, I. I hold that my desire for the character to be someone who has a mental, has mental illness and also has superpowers is still possible. Is it still a possible reading of the show? I think that the yeah. episode in which he is in therapy uh, in his mind um, and Lenny is like giving him therapy and he describes himself as having manic depression and he describes it very clearly. And I think there's a question like, does he have disassociative disorder or schizophrenia or is that just just products of his powers? That's unclear. They probably are, but he probably has manic depression. Now, yeah. there's a difference between the way manic depression is stigmatized and the way 
that disassociative personality or schizophrenia are, are, are stigmatized, though. Mm-hmm. So manic depression is obviously stigmatized. Not as badly as, like, schizophrenia is. Like, the assumption people – people think schizophrenic people are, like, dangerous, like, literally all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge problem, and it's not the case. Um, right. So the fact that perhaps David – in a slightly more balanced state moving forward, turns out to be someone who has a mental illness that's a more common one and is less demonized, does also kind of make things easier. But I am also happy that, again, like, well, okay, so we do have a still have a superhero who has mental illness that isn't just necessarily like PTSD, like Jessica Jones, that she was something that was done to her. Um, so, I, but, you know, Brett seemed to be convinced of a different yes. interpretation of this. Oh, what's your read, Brett? So, well, my, so I, I definitely don't think he's schizophrenic. Like the whole, the big thing with the comic character is that he actually has all these personalities, and when he taps those personalities, he gets the powers. Um, that's clearly not how this is working, that he's just got tons of powers, and it, it doesn't have to do with the personalities. So I don't think the mental illness on the show is what is in the comic series, which I still, you know, I don't think was handled super well ever but at least it was there. Um, him possibly being depressed, I could see that, but I definitely don't think the the powers are have to do with schizophrenia because other than Lenny and the Shadow King, we I don't think we've really seen other personalities within other than personalities maybe... Personalities aren't related... Personalities aren't related to schizophrenia. Uh, that would be disassociative well, disorder. Disassociated, yeah, but with the... Sorry, yeah, disassociated. So, yeah, we, we haven't seen that aspect, which is pretty much the, the comic characters, the, the disassociated disorder. So uh-huh. at least that aspect isn't there. Depression very well might be. And of course, I think, I think they hinted at some stuff in that no one took him serious and didn't think it was mutant powers and kept on telling him that he, there was something up with him um, mentally and threw him in all these facilities. So I would imagine whatever going forward probably is an offshoot of that. But you know, I think traditionally of what I was thinking of the character in the comics, they're going in a completely different direction. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, just because I don't think they would get it right. Um, so also, also, also disassociative disorder is so common, like in TV shows and books and comics and all that, all that stuff. That like you know, it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's like what you're Wasn't saying, like about getting it about right. It? Uh, yeah. What was it, 23 or whatever it was with um, McAvoy? The, the Shyamalan film. I didn't see it. So I have no oh, idea. I have oh, not God, seen it. Uh, Split. 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 Yeah, I have not I seen know. it. I have not seen it. The world did not need that movie on any level. <laughs> Does the world need any more Shyamalan at this point? Like, can he just, it, like, chill? It did well. <laughs> I know. That's just, I think that's just, like, I think, uh, I've heard that it's, like, the movie of his that, like, the most people aren't mad at this time. Um, but I, yeah, I have, I've not seen it. I'll probably stumble upon it, but, but I mean, but like, come on, it's super, super duper low. Uh, But, but I, but I totally agree with what you're saying about like, uh, it's almost like I, I, I don't think that they're going to go full, the full like comic book character disassociative and all the powers of uh, all the, um, his different personalities of powers, et cetera. And they manifest in different ways. They take over his body and whatever. I don't think they're going yeah. that way because I think they're thinking what you're thinking. Tons of people try this. Are we going to do it right? No, we're not going to do it right. Let's do something else. That's my belief yeah. at this point. Yeah. We're going to piss everyone off. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Let's do another well, way. And, I, I, but, yeah. 
No, go on, Alana. But, you know, it, it seems pretty clear to me from the interviews, though, that the creator also thinks that he – it's unclear whether or not he has right. mental illness, but that he wants people to think that he still might. Um, but I think it's important that, like, the, the monologue he gives with respect to – you know, he, he says in, his, in that scene, David tells Sid that she has schizophrenia and that he has manic depression – and his describing the feeling of, of invulnerability and also believing that you don't have to take your medicine because you're okay, like, that's all very real and accurate. And that is, I think, particularly useful. I mean, one of the other pieces that I want to talk about is the portrayal of the mental hospitals. I mean, the mid-century, mid-20th century was full of art showing that mental hospitals was where people went to get tortured. And the reality was that was pretty true because the way people treated people who were in institutions uh, was abuse. I mean, people were like literally being abused there. That's not to say that won't go over the cuckoo's nest is an accurate portrayal of the problems of the mental health system. It's not, but there was a reason why the mental health hospitals were shut down and reformed. But then people forget the other side of that was it meant that there was no resources and mental health services available for people. And that's why you had so many people with serious mental issues who were homeless and like left to fend for themselves in the, in the eighties and why that was such a huge problem for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So the institutionalization was bad and the deinstitutionalization was also bad. And I think in the show you have this very twee and cute mental hospital, which on the one hand, like I, the fact that the mental hospital itself wasn't terrifying is sort of a good thing because people should feel like they are able to go and have inpatient care if they need that. But by the same token, it's also clearly there to produce compliance, right? It's clockwork. And that being a reference to clockwork orange and that they're, you know, from the, the book clockwork orange is supposed to be like, we're trying to regiment people and make everybody equally sweet and complacent together. And, I think it's complicated because I do think that this is a show that you leave this saying, like, yes, if you have, like, you should get treatment for your mental challenges, like, that that is what you do to take care of yourself. And I think the stuff that Gene Smart's character says is definitely contributes to understanding, like, yes, like, you need to get help. That's important. But it definitely is also a, a show that says, like, mental hospitals are not, you know, not there for you, really. They're there for the per- perpetuating order. Hmm. I mean, I mean, uh, the, you know, the, I feel like some, some of the doctors are characterized like in a positive light, even though like their, their methods of treatment end up being fundamentally wrong because they're missing a lot. But I mean, like, I thought that pool is presented as like, you know, not a, not a demonic presence who's, you know, trying to beat him into submission or, 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 or snap the whip. So he just falls in line with the world or anything like that. Even the doctor that, that ends up, uh, I forget his name right now, but like the other, the one that like, is that the one that takes Sid out? Yes. The one who ends up being locked in the cell. Right. Right. Like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't quite like, I thought I thought at first, especially when he got Sid, because I had all these conspiracy theories. I was like, "Oh, Sid's there, like on purpose to get him out." Or I had all these like weird ideas. I thought I, that. I, I, I was I, with you I, on that. After rewatching it, I don't think that's the case. 
That's rewatching like the early no. episodes. But I thought that on the first, and I'm like, oh, she was like there to like you know recruit him, and it was all like a game or whatever. Um, but like, I mean, seeing him in the in the cell later, I get the notion that I think he thought he was doing well or trying to be trying to do the right thing. Um, and I mean, that's to me, that's one of like the messier aspects of the show. I say messy, but I, but I don't know if I quite disagree with it or think it's super wrong. Um, but this this idea of you know, uh, the therapist uh, in the in the therapy scenes, not counting obviously the one in like the fantasy with Lenny, um, but in the therapy scenes, they they it's like they they read David wrong in a lot of ways, and uh-huh. they like read like you know certain aspects of his responses as you know an opposition or as like a reluctance to accept certain things or whatever, and sometimes they're just him like you know lost in his battle with the Shadow King or you know. Uh, like other things and he's not it's not that he's like trying to like fight them but i think they interpret that uh as a fight in in certain cases which i guess uh i guess goes against a a a, a, a nice or a reading that i'd like to agree with about the show which is that like you said that it's not it's not demonizing treatment necessarily um but in in the end i do feel that there were the 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 struggles that David goes through, which I feel like others have definitely talked about this, but the struggles that he goes through of, you know, no, I'm fine. Even when he gets to Summerland, which is the place where, you know, they're like deeply trying to help him in rewatching the early episodes. I realized that the memory work that they do with, with Patonomy, that really fucks him up. That's really mm. bad because like they're under the impression that, Oh, like, we're just going to like, you know, like sharpen you up and then you're going to be like a super soldier and you're going to be awesome and it's going to be no problem. And David's like, uh, okay, I guess. Like, I mean, I was, that's not how they did it at clockwork and that didn't work. So I'll try this and I'll see what works. And like, they, I think do more harm than good. It's not their fault. Mm. Again, much like the therapist, they don't understand what's really going on. They don't get that there's another presence that they're working with. Um, so like, I mean, it's, it's weird, but you're right. But even that I don't think is a is like a a necessarily bad read of of the mental health system because I mean the mental health system sometimes has like the greatest of intentions and and fuck shit up. I should uh, give a full disclosure when I was uh when I was 18 uh, I helped run a uh, a youth empowerment program for youth trapped in the mental health system. <laughs> so I like got into a bunch oh. of like this stuff. Uh oh. so this has like this has some personal uh you know uh, uh of of personal interest to me. That was a very long time ago, but I, I spent a number of years kind of, you know, writing grants and, 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 and working with specifically uh, like 16 to 24 and, and primarily like under 18 because of like their lack of agency. And so you whatever. You are the perfect person for us to have on this episode. <laughs> and I didn't even know it. I'm I know. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's something that, you know, like that, that young people, that, that perspective is one that young people like deal with a lot, that it's not a, it's some like, it's sometimes it's interpreted as uh, as as friction or as rebellion, but it it's it could also just be a misunderstanding, and that's really difficult to parse. And everybody parses it wrong in the show. Mm. What do you think about the fact that the episode that psychoanalyzes his the team um, mm. basically it identifies psychological issues that each one of them face, but they're also all connected to their powers. I that almost felt a little too neat. A little bit too neat and tidy. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I haven't rewatched that episode since finishing the series. I think it was six or seven. Um, episode six, yeah. Episode six. I mean, 
I do think that there's like that there are also um, that there there are also elements in that episode of Lenny drafting a narrative. Uh, Lenny is you know just like just like how she puts Sid in a coma. Lenny is not really like providing treatment. She's affecting people's reality. So I would almost argue mm. that aspects of that episode may not necessarily be taken as, you know, as like, you know, the word of truth um, that You're Lenny right. could yeah. be sitting with people and just like infesting their own belief systems with, uh, with these convenient narratives that, 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 yeah, that make the most sense with their powers, like autonomy and the memory and like his own issue with trauma, all that stuff like, I wouldn't trust that. I'd like practically trust nothing in that episode or in that like particular piece of the narrative because the shadow King is fucked up. True that. Um, I mean, what, what, one of the things I was impressed by the show though, is you have a cast where, you know, the protagonist is a white guy and his love interest is this white woman and they have the majority of the psychological weight of the series. But mm-hmm. as it, as it goes on, these characters around them, you expect to not have any interiority do mm-hmm. and that was very pleasantly surprising i loved how they flushed out the rest of the team um i think that particularly the, the carries got a good job of that as yeah. well as, uh melanie melanie bird yep. we could have more for ptolemy but we did get some of him too we did i i he's he's one of my only snags in the show because he has such an, a fascinating presence in the first half and then in the second half, mm-hmm. he's running around with a fucking gun and he barely does anything but like react to things with a gun. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, mm-hmm. this is the memory guy. Like you, you spend all this time in the beginning saying like what a master he is of like exploring this shit. However, like in, in, uh, in the narrative, I would also argue that he might be still reeling from what's done to him and he might just not be, you know, his, uh, his ready self, just like you're saying, the carries are, are given more attention and their whole relate, their particular relationship is like something I've never really seen. Uh, it's like, you know, pretty much impossible to parse outside of like a story with superpowers and, and crazy things that happen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're, they're really interesting. I am wild about that actress a hundred percent. She mm-hmm. like really, really captured my attention in that. And I'm like, this is, this is way cool. And we don't have a lot of first nation actors uh, in, you know, in hour long dramas that I can immediately think of. They're limited. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, yeah, she was amazing. He was wonderful. The two of them together were great. I mean, I've wondered if somebody might take it like, Oh, so it's like the indigenous half of the personality who like wants to fight all the time, but I couldn't bring myself to like read it that way. I am like, that would be like my like critical, like, Oh, why he's the doctor scientist and the indigenous woman is the one who wants to fight. But, like, they're both so great that you can't just yeah. write, it, write it off that way. At least for me, I couldn't. No, I, I agree with you. They're, and they're really, like, you know, just, uh, you know, injured in interesting ways. And, uh, yeah, the, the, I think there's there's something beyond that surface read. Although, like, I wouldn't, like, you know, like, be completely mad about somebody having that read because it is there. And you can have that read. But, uh I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it's not. I I can't get mad at it because it's still. It's really fascinating, and I'm super exactly. curious how where it goes. Exactly. And there's so few shows that have like relationships between men and women that aren't related to like romance at all. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. What did your uh, read for the the carries? Like, who was the original one, and who was the the manifestation? Mm, I mean, like they 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 define it as like the. 
the dude being the original one, I mean, that could be unreliable, but um, I mean, he's the, he's the, he's the older, you know, one, but I guess he's the older one because there's, you know, people kick ass less hours of the day than they, <laughs> than they do science. <laughs> well, right, but like, so he, was, he also, he also was born first, right? Like he was born that's first what he, and that's his, what his mom was about. like, that is clearly not our baby. Oh, right. Out of the house. And then right. Exactly. he was born. And the or photo they showed. The so, I just didn't come out. Yeah. So the yeah. interesting was someone pointed out, and their theory was that she is the like original person. And he's the we'll call dupe or whatever. Going you know stealing multiple men uh, uh-huh. terminology. And because that they, they showed a photo of the family, and it's clearly Native American parents. That he is her manifestation to kind of take the punches when she fights. And he's shielding her in a way. And because of him, she's not aging as quickly and protecting her, uh, you know, her, basically her, like, projection to protect her, which I thought was really an interesting thing that I didn't pick up on. Like, I totally missed the picture. But, yeah, it's... Isn't that interesting in line with that, that she doesn't... There's no moment in the show where, like, he's about to get hurt and she jumps out to defend him. She just goes out to do stuff. It's not, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, she's not, like, a meat shield or anything. Like, she just has her own, you know, individualized life. And it's not necessarily right. all about, you know. So the, the thing that was pointed out was that when she's out fighting, she takes the punches uh, but isn't, like, really injured due, it, due to it. But he's the one that's really more getting the the injuries and, and taking the hits afterwards. Like so, when he absorbs her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So you don't necessarily see the damage to her, and but you see the damage when she, when she gets absorbed. So in that way, he's kind of like her. I don't even know what the hell to call it. <laughs> Yo, there's something else. <laughs> they are they are really they are really something else. And the friction that emerges like later on when like he abandons her. And how like that's yeah. not like really resolved in a clean way, uh, even by even really by the end of it. Um, I'm like I don't even know what this <laughs> I don't even know what this is. This is not like a brother sister <laughs> thing. Like I don't I don't I don't really have a good comparison point for this, and that's why I love it. Yeah, there yeah was, like, I, um, I felt bad for both of them. I'm like I you know like yeah. I thought, and I think that's uh, uh, something where you feel really bad for both people yeah, in the situation. Yeah. You can see so clearly through each other's eyes why they acted, why they did. It, I mean that's. Unusual and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing with so the, the two I like was that. I almost got like a a twin aspect to it where there's this super deep connection and they don't necessarily have to speak to to know what each other is saying and and like this just a deep hurt. It was, yeah. I mean that those two were. I would love to see a series of just them two. Like, give me a couple <laughs> episodes because it's such a fascinating thing. And I was like. I think that's the thing that really made me super happy about the series. And though a lot of these characters seemed familiar, like the carries were kind of like multiple men. Sid kind of had like a rogue thing going on. Um, Mm. They were still really original and things that we haven't seen often or really at all in like the X-Men universe. Like, and I'm amazed that they're still able to do really original stuff in, you know, with a character set that's probably in the triple digits at least of, you know, people with powers. Yeah. They're right. very complex as well. You know, one other thing about, like, 
this the interiority of other characters is in that final episode when you see the agent who'd been pursuing them. Oh, Clark. He, oh, man. Clark, thank you. When mm-hmm. you see him, Clark, the show did something. I, by having the reveal that, like, yep. Clark, that's Clark's husband and son were waiting for him to wake up in his hospital room, oh, I was that like, oh, you have emotionally manipulated me into caring about him. <laughs> if he, like, if he was like straight, I don't think I would have cared that much. I was like suddenly care because I'm like, oh, look at him and his partner and their adorable adopted son who's coloring. Now I care about him. And then when we later see that his husband also works for the agency, I'm like, yep. oh. Hmm. Yep. I thought that was really smart. Oh, I thought was so interesting. You know, you know what that that reminded me of, and I, I'm probably like the only person on this earth, and you've already hear, heard how much of a, a fucking bleeding heart I can be. I am one of the only people who was not like visibly shaken by the intro to Up, to the movie Up. I don't know if you guys saw that. Imagine you have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I was smart. not. I was not, and the main reason I was not is because it happened early on. It felt super cloying and it felt like it was fucking with me. And I felt that it was fucking with me too hard to really (laughs) respond to it in like from a real place. And that's, I got shades of that when the start of the last episode hit and I was like, don't do No, no, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. The thing that made it kind of like, 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 and I did, and I did feel, and I totally, Ilana, I totally agree with you, even though that feels even more unfair that yes, that he's like gay and, and like, you know, this, this type of relationship that, that did get to me. But the thing that got to me was when he was actually given an opportunity to speak his piece. His piece wasn't, you know, you need to be stamped down because I don't, I was expecting the, you know, the big bad like speech, you know, and that, that was not actually his speech like halfway through the episode when they get him in the interrogation room. His speech was like, I like, we're protecting humanity from you. Like people like, Mm -hmm. like all these people die Mm -hmm. and, all, and more people can die if people like you go unchecked. And, like, we're not saying we want to kill you, but we need to figure something out, whatever it is, because, like, you guys are better than us, and we know that. So what the fuck do we do now? Like, okay, like, we can find you and slice you up, and, and maybe that's the way. But there was something about the way he communicated it that wasn't, like, a typical wicked bad guy has his moment in the sun to speak. It was like, it, there was something about it that felt selfless. And when I took that and combined it with the beginning narrative of that episode and with, you know, and of course, like with his like description at the, in the office of like, look, like you need to do something with me to get me on the ground because all these people died and their death needs to mean something. When I combine all that together, then I was like there in a real emotional place. But I totally felt manipulated also. <laughs> I was like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this to me. It's so unfair. Uh, but they pulled, they pulled it like, like as, again, I feel like this is a theme of the series. Like, I distrust things that they're doing. I see what they're doing. And I'm like, don't fucking do that. I know you're going to mess this up and you're going to like, do something like that I've seen a million times before or is going to be exceedingly clumsy for the wrong reasons or something. And then they surprised me in the end. So the last episode was no different. Mm. I like that they gave him the wolf head cane because there's been a number of Red Riding Hood images with Sid. So Ah. he was very clearly saying that he was like, you know, kill all these other people. Um, Ah. I I thought that that was connected back to it. Interesting. 
I hadn't even I hadn't even uh, considered that. My only thing well, was no when it was kind of have a wolf head cane. Other than being uh, Harvey Keitel in 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 Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, no, Pulp Fiction, that's it, and being Mr. the Wolf. Uh, yeah, I think my my thing was when when they revealed like who he was working for and and kind of what the other side's view was. I was actually a little let down. I thought there was going to be something more to it, mm-hmm. and this grand conspiracy, um, and you were going to get maybe more of like an Xavier Magneto thing, and there's like a whole other thing of mutants, and they're trying to do you know do stuff with, and maybe uh-huh. you know David's not really with you know the good guys, and he's really with the bad guys. Um, but it kind of got there, and I was like, oh, that's it. Like we've kind of been building to eight episodes, and. I think that was my only disappointment in the in the entire series is I thought that like the big bad in that instance didn't quite live up to probably what I had in my head. Yeah, I mean like he's really not the big bad, like which I, I, I think is like that's what surprised me. He's really not. And and yeah. I was like I was inching towards the eye guy being the big bad, but he gets off. Like he's totally taken mm-hmm. off the board. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, whatever it is. It's 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 murkier and weirder than. than I wasn't that. in the mood for a conciliatory with the government ending, but like I also <laughs> think that that's just because of when the show was released, <laughs> and then I would not have felt that way or, you know, earlier. <laughs> uh, but what do you guys think about the talk about the Shadow King a bit? So I knew mm-hmm. it was the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a couple yeah. of things. What? <laughs> There's a couple of oh, things, no, though, with respect to the Shadow King. Like, you know, I think the way that the image was revealed between the eyes, the angriest boy, the, having him flicker in between the scenes, very Twin Peaks, which oh, is a big compliment for me. Um, but I'm also a little bit tired of, like, yellow corpulent demons as being <laughs> evil. Like, I mean, one of the things the Shadow King does in New Mutants, right, is he makes karma who basically has the same powers that as Sid, he makes yeah. her really, really, really heavy and, like, disturbs her in that way. And he himself is also really, really big. And it, it just is another... But, and when Doesn't he, he make like everyone heavy people, or something? Isn't that, like, a thing? I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, like, Farouk when he wants, heavy. you know, it just sort of seems a little bit like, you know, fat is bad, basically. It's sort of cheap and, 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 and but he had, like we've it, seen it. I, I considered that, but in the show, he like his withered arms communicate that it's just, he's not necessarily fat. He's just like, you know, irregular. He's just like a, a uh, you know, like, uh, a, 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 what's the word? He's an aberration. Like it's not, he doesn't look like just a fat dude. Like that's not like right. he's like, hi, and then this yeah. and that, and that's bad. Like he looks like something that doesn't make sense. Sort of, you know, uh, because and I and but I totally get like where you were going with that because when when you first see him, like you can't. I don't think you see his full body till either late in episode one or like episode two or later. Um, so yeah, like when I first saw the image, I'm like, really? Like, is that what they're doing? Like, um, but then like when you do see his like full uh, manifested body, I was just like, he looks sort of like, sort of like a like a like a like a like a Japanese oni. Uh, kind of like thing where it's like they're just at, they're just parts of him and they don't all make sense mm-hmm. with each other, you know. So I kind of I'm, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I kind of the way I would describe them is uh, a bloated corpse, and that some parts were, would be like the normal size, like they might be slightly um, pustule or kind of falling apart, or whatever. But the body itself will be bloated from gas, and maybe the face is a little bit and doesn't quite look the way it used to. Um, but parts of it still does. And that was the vibe I kept on getting off of every time we I would see him was my that was the fucked up imagery I had in my head. I, I, I have a question that I that I forgot I wanted to ask you guys. Um, this is something again I thought watching the early episodes again. Do you think that the world's angriest boy in the world is is a real book in David's history? It's very convincing, and for a second I actually thought it was a real book in the world because <laughs> the, it was drawn so much of a style that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. But yeah. do I think his parents read him this book? Yes. I mean, uh, do you guys yeah. remember Pierre? I don't care. Like it, it doesn't, you can have these bad characters in children's books and they're instructive tools about how not to be. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like a Grimm's fairy tale kind of, kind of deal. Exactly. So I don't know. Like he could be, it could be a real thing that little David interpreted in a way his parents did not intend. Um, so, all right. So I have I a theory know. about the world's angriest boy in the world because the world's angriest boy in the world is not revealed in the show until Potomomy starts taking them through memories. And oh, so I had okay. a thought, I had this thought that the first time they go into David's memories, right? Things are, nothing crazy happens. Nothing, uh, no horror thing enters they enter into David's memory and he's watching, uh, he's watching himself chase his sister through the meadow. And in that memory is King. Now, mm-hmm. soon after that memory is when things get weird. And I had this notion that the Shadow King kind of figured out that you could fuck with memories by watching them work with David's memories. Like he was just there and he's like, what are they doing? Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Oh, and he says, oh, you know, can I go, can I go talk to my younger self? And he's like, no, you don't want to fuck with your memories. And then Shadow King's like, interesting. Okay. And then after that is when you see the scene with his dad reading him the book. And then after that, that beca- like the world's angriest boy in the world becomes a trope uh, in David's mind. But he's not uh-huh. in the first episode. Like he doesn't pop up in, the, in Clockwork. Right. Uh, and so I got the notion that, like, he was, he was just a new manifestation the Shadow King figured out. Because he's like, oh, you're, now you're digging into your childhood. Like, all right, let, well, let's fuck with that. All right, I don't, want, I don't want that to be, like, the untouched space. Like, let me get in there real hard right now and, like, do something uh, destructive with it that, that would further help me manipulate you. So I, and, and part of that is also just a very simple reason why I totally agree with what you said. And there are, like, you know, I, you know, I read Edward Gorey when I was a kid and, Tim Burton has some fucked up kids books and whatever, but I got the feeling that not only the, the anachronistic title of the book, which is just strange. Um, I, the, the book doesn't even to me seem to have a lesson. Like it's literally just gore. It's just a, just a horror gore thing. And there's nothing really there that like connects to me on something that could be a lesson. So I have the feeling that the book doesn't exist. And no one in the, no one in the, in, 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 I mean, and this isn't, this isn't ironclad, but none of David's buddies are like, oh, world's angriest boy in the world. Yeah, I know. My mom used to read it. It was so fucked up. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, I read that at the library once. No one has any idea what the hell it is. <laughs> like, they're like, that's a fucked up book. Where did that come from? 
So I am sure that the book doesn't exist. It only exists in his head because of the Shadow King. I'm sold. Yeah, I was about to say, you sold me on that one. That would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, I haven't seen that anywhere. And I got that, I, I really, that really hit me hard today, uh, you know, revisiting those episodes. And I'm like, that's, that's not even real in the reality of the show. Like, that's just not a real thing that exists, even in the fiction. I was going to say, they did make a comment at one point that Shadow King was kind of re- rewriting David's memories and, and working with yeah. him to try to fully take over. So, I mean, that plays into that. And, and, and since that's early on, it would give a hint and foreshadow what's said later on in the series. So, it, to me, it makes complete sense. Right, right. I, I want to say off. real quick. No, no. Uh, is it every single actor in this show was flawless? That's crazy. <laughs> it's actually true. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I really have to agree with you. Like they, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. All right. Um, I mean, I, so this is another. This is another one of those snags that I solved for myself. Uh, doesn't I don't necessarily think that this actor was bad in any way, but. Who is the soldier guy? Who is the dude who like is like kicking everyone's ass in the end of the first episode? You know what I'm talking about? The dude uh, with the gun. Do you like, mean the red shirt? It, <laughs> well, he doesn't die, does he? No, he doesn't. He doesn't no, get killed. No, but he but he, he injured. You think he died? He's the white guy, right? Yeah, yeah, the white guy who's like kind of leading the charge away from clockwork in the in the first episode. Yeah. I like he I really got thrown off with him because he pops up in the first episode completely vanishes then when they decide to go like you know storm the facility for Amy it's like he's just there he's like yeah let's go and it's like what well oh right you were a character where the hell did you come from I don't think anybody names him I could be wrong but I feel like no one calls him by a name and then he just like goes off and I was having this conversation with uh with Chico Leo from Scream Squad and I was like I was like, at first I was really mad about that, but then later on I realized something which the show is subtle about. And I feel like in the last episode is the one where you see it more than anything. The facility that they're in, the Summerland facility, there's like a ton of people there, right? Did you notice that? There's like just, you know, like mm-hmm. cubicle workers and, you know, just people milling about. They're not really high lit in a lot of the scenes, but like they're apparently there. So I figured that this is like a dude who's just like, a, you know, a grunt. And, you know, he doesn't uh-huh. need to really be part of the decision-making. So who cares what his name is? Like, they're not going to, like, plan with him or be like, are we, are we doing this or not? They just call him and be like, hey, we got to go kick some ass. And he's like, all right, I'll come kick some ass. Let's go. I'm ready. Yeah. He's the red shirt. Yeah. He's exactly the red shirt. He doesn't get killed, but, like, I would, I, would, I would assume that if he – I thought, yeah, like, you think he's killed, but I don't think he is killed, right? He's, inj- he's injured at the end of the, the reverie that they're in. But I, but I think yeah. he's still alive. Yeah. I guess that's true. But we, we could totally be like, we could show to like red shirt when he came on. <laughs> um, but no, I think that's true. I, I, I also was thinking like, one of the, the pieces is like, what is about there? You, you do have all these other people in Summerland who we yeah. like really never encounter and only exist in the background. I mean, I was thinking about you have all of these natural history museum esque dioramas. Um, yeah. Like, displays happening in a vitrine. It's all very Wes Anderson, right? And I think you also have the people in Summerland are living in a vitrine, too. It is a glass house that is a display inside of which everything is very quaint and orderly. It's like 
a display that's supposed to be like the finest in mid-century architecture. Look at these humans who are expertly styled to match the finest of, of mid-century architecture. You can see them through the glass display as well as the animals. And so they're all, they're all collectively there for us as a spectacle for the viewer to consume and find quaint. It's odd. I got like a kind of an Antonioni thing from, from all of it, except like more lush with, like you said, with the, with the natural history museum installations uh, <laughs> and, the, and the taxidermied animals. Like I, what? Like why, why are there taxidermied animals in this? Like, you know, this bizarre thing that's like super hidden in the forest. Who knows? D3 can't find it, but it's all windowed. So when D3 yeah, does yeah, find it, strange. like they'll be fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is, uh, it, is really, it is really odd. I mean, do you think that there's... I was say, where did it take place? I couldn't figure that out. California. Do they say Northwest. that? Like, no, but it looks like it was shown in, like, Northern California, I think. It looks like it. And then when at the end, when he drives away in the car, he's driving on the right... The wheel's on the right side of the yeah. car. Yeah! And oh the my plates God, aren't that? American. Oh, that's because, that's because Lenny is driving. Oh, it's like really? backwards. Hmm. Well, she's not actually driving, but like they're yeah, having it all yeah. be backwards. Uh, uh, yeah, that actually would make sense. It's just like to, it. to be disorienting, right? Like he thinks he's yeah. driving the car. Because he won, he thinks he's driving the car because like using the side because he's, you know, from a, a, a country that drives on the other side of the road. Yeah, yeah. But he's actually right. being driven by Lemmy. So that, that is sort of how I took that to be. I also thought I like his it. accent sounded more British and less New Zealandy at first, but it got maybe got a little bit more New Zealandy over time. I don't know. They never say where her husband's from. That's fine. But it's Jermaine. I'm fine. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> and that was a surprise. I didn't. I didn't know he was cast in this. Me I was neither. Just like socks off. So that was another sort of thing where sort of was like, oh, yeah, this cast is, like, self more diverse than you think it is based on, <laughs> like, it's still, like, more white than it should be, but it's more diverse than you think it is. Yeah. I mean, like you said, like, I mean, the, the central relationship in the show is is, is is lily white as they come, I think. Um, but but there is more going on, and, and the, the characters of color aren't, for the most part, like, you know, they're, they're treated with care. They are given they're, full yeah. identity, full spectrum identities. And, uh, and, 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 you know, even, and even like, you know, more so they're like, you know, I was talking to somebody who's like halfway through the show and she's so excited and she had to like, look it up because she wanted to make sure that they don't kill Patonomy. And I'm like, no, 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 they don't kill him. <laughs> they don't kill him. He's there. He's there through the end. He makes it. And, you know, and, and, and I think that was, that was also in the article that you shared before is that, um, I think that was the, the article uh, that mentioned the idea mm. that the show has all this, all this like intense character drama with like minimal character death, like literal character death, which is hard, hard to do usually um, to make them like, you know, feel like they're in danger and, you know, make you kind of like worried about them, which I was for a lot of it. Um, but they're all, mm. they're also, you know, there are no serious people aren't really like pushed off the board hard. Uh, for the most part, aside from aside from Lenny, who you get to see even more of when she is. You know? Yes. I, yeah. I, I actually well, that know was the article you're speaking of, but I do agree with you. Oh. Well, that was gonna, it's the interesting thing with that was, I mean, this show proves that you can you can do heavy drama without having to fridge people. Like you can you can threaten 
you can put that tension there and make people think about it, but they don't they don't drive that drama from anywhere. I mean, really, the only people that die are red shirts. Like Dave, uh, you know, David goes and butchers everyone in that one scene and and fuses yeah. people and does all kinds of crazy stuff. But they're the all generic. Teams, but, you know. Or the, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's all kind of generic people that we aren't really ever named that we know about. Sure. Like for the most part, I think everyone survives. Yeah. No, it's a uh, yeah, and 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 the drama doesn't really let up. So yeah, that's it's a, yeah. it's a good example of that, which is I have to say rare in, in shows that I've seen. It's rare in comics. Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, no, you're totally you're you are totally you are totally right. And like again, like on and on top of that, like the show takes like you know even I mean if I if more structurally aside from just like the relationship, the show takes the topic of unreliable narrator, which has been done to fucking death lately. And still, you know, by the end of it, like it, it feels, it feels new. And, and to me, none of it really felt, felt tired. Um, and even though I feel like that particular standard is really inching its way to trope territory. Well, you know, what is tropey though? Is this like, they definitely just like straight up used the sunglasses from they live. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I that forgot was... about that episode. They, yeah, yeah, they, they, they pretty much do. That was really unusual. Um, but yeah, I mean, that could be, it could be a, uh, a, a, a really fun, a really fun reference. Have, have either of you seen uh, Dan Stevens in that movie, The Guest? Did you guys see that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, no. The guest, the guest is by the dude whose name I forget right now, who like worked on on some of those uh, VH. VHS anthology uh, things. Um, but he, the guest is like a movie that's so just deliberately a love letter to John Carpenter movies and to, uh, you know, like eighties thrillers in general. Oh. And it's a mishmash of them. So it's got, now I Hall- want to see it. <laughs> Oh no, it's, it's fantastic. It's got Halloween mixed with the Terminator. Like it, it's a lot of things smushed together. And Dan Stevens is the main character. That was the first time I ever saw him in anything. And I was like totally blown away. And I don't think that, uh, they live is not one that that movie is particularly references, but maybe like I didn't even, maybe I didn't even blink when it happened because I came, I came to this actor from that movie and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's another one. Okay. They're doing another, another, uh, another reference here. That's fine. But yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. Uh, they, 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 they put on the glasses that whole, I, I have not rewatched that episode um, of the, of the series. And I, I really, I really do want to go back to it because I remember being, I, I remember really digging that, that episode, I want to say it bleeds past one episode, right? When they're trapped in the reverie and the, in the like makeshift in the mental clockwork. It's not like, it's not like, you know, the end of an episode ends and they're in, and they're in this made up clockwork and then it's the episode of clockwork and they get out and then it's the next episode. It's like, if I recall, it kind of bleeds from the end of one into like the beginning of the other. So it doesn't really feel, it feels like they're just there forever and they're just like, you know, trapped and captured by this. Um, yeah, no, actually, I'm fairly certain that's true because one of the episodes yep. ends with, uh, with him like, quote unquote, trapped in this in you know the shadow king successfully got him in the coffin in that glass coffin um and that's the end of one episode so they're in there for a while which i thought was pretty brave and may have tested some people's patience who were kind of expecting it to be like yeah like like a side story and then they get to the rest of it um but they really remain there like for a while and that i i love that i just felt like uh again the show is kind of playing with your expectations and 
and breaking past the tip, uh, the typical moles, the typical trappings. Um, man. Yeah, favorite comic book show. It's got to be. After this talk, now I'm like totally sure it's my favorite comic book show. Excellent. I mean, it's, yeah, it's impressive. It, it, I think it's – and the interesting one is it's one that other than maybe the early reviews that were, were praising it, it didn't have much buzz. Like it wasn't coming out of San Diego Comic-Con or anything like that where everyone was yeah. going crazy but over that's it. So it, it has nothing to do with the comics. So like San Diego was sort of yeah. like, uh-huh. Like, this is a show that's going to do well in the TV Critics Association. Um, I hope. Junkets thing that happened. You know what I mean? So. I feel like it's doing that. Like, I've read some really smart writing on it. And I'm like, okay, there are smart people looking at this show for certain. Yeah, yeah. Alyssa Rosenberg's a big fan at the Washington Post. So, yeah, I think, I think the show is, um, is, I mean, it's coming back for another season. Mm-hmm. Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and I, for, that like, was a big deal too. So I wanted to bring up that. Yeah. So the the other the only one point I wanted to, to, well, yeah. So the renewal I thought was really interesting because it, it threw me back to Walking Dead in that first season, which was also short. Uh, did it you know have a full twenty four episode thing? And yeah, yeah. they didn't know if they were going to renew that. Even towards the end of that first season, it was still up in the air. If I remember right, I mean, you know, so many years I ago. I felt like the but, first season, like, potentially ended. Like, if it was canceled after that, it's like, it doesn't right. end on, like, uh, like you know, and what happens next. It's like, it could end there, sort of. Right, and then it had kind of, like, I think the, the, the ending wasn't quite as strong as it could have been if they knew they were being renewed. Whereas this right. one, the renewal was so early, I, I would love to know if they shifted the ending at all knowing that uh-huh. was, was happening and oh, they could so stick the landing even better. It was clear to me that the little, the little uh, ball that scans him and eats uh-huh. him up after the credits, like that definitely was something they did as a t- that only would have happened after the show. That had to be after. Yeah. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless they wanted to piss off like everybody on her, everybody who ever watched it. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But that also shows how good the show is, right? That they were able to mm-hmm. do that in both ways. Like, you could have not had that, that stinger at the end with, with him with the ball and all that, and they could have just ended it where they ended it with the credits, and everyone would have been super satisfied and be like, oh, this is another great show that's not getting a second season because people didn't right. watch it. But right. they were smart enough to, to leave it and, and twist something in a way that they could go into second season. I mean, that makes me appreciate it even more. Mm, I think I'm with you. If it's possible for that me, was... I appreciate it more. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. The, I love Riverdale for the trashy TV soap opera, but when it comes to acting and story and, and the look of it and visuals, everything, this is just heads and above, I think, even regular television. Like, it's head and above most television, period. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just comic shows. So, it's I, I'm not going to wait it. Deserves uh, it deserves these nominations and recognition and you know I'm I'm hoping it happens. I mean, my yeah. only thing about that is is that like the visual cues that it takes are from an era that is already safely beloved by a ton of people. So mm. like it's an aesthetic that it it leans a lot on its aesthetic to in in some ways, and it's an aesthetic that it already knows people love. But I don't think it, like, I think even if you didn't have the art direction that you have, 
you know, which would include costumes, etc., uh, the visuals of the show would still be striking enough that it would be worth watching as its own. So, um, so I do think it's it's beyond just sort of being a candy wrapper for for it, you know, because like there's, you know, I, I feel like a show that like has super '90s aesthetics. I don't like '90s aesthetics at all, but that would be like, you know, risky or edgy in some way that hasn't been like reconstituted and absorbed into like something that everybody loves already. You know what I mean? But this is definitely set using like, Oh, I love those modernist furniture. Oh, I love, you know, a line skirts and flip hairdos and turtlenecks. Like, yeah, we, we know <laughs> we all do. Thank you. But, um, <laughs> but I think that the visuals are strong, even without the art direction and having the great art direction helps. So yeah. Um well, I would yeah, I, yeah. I I the last thing I would say is I really want the both of you to watch Fargo. Like I really want you to to check it out. And Fargo I, season 1 is awesome. And I will. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I've heard great. The thing that made me say that I wanted to see Fargo were the ads for Fargo running during Legion, but it was basically <laughs> because I saw um uh some train spotting and uh Michael Stahlberg those are the two things. That's 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 a gotcha. Yeah, and I know that's season three though. But is this a different 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 showrunner on season three? I take it. No, no, I think I think he's he's on it. He's on it every time. Um, the the, oh, okay. the seasons are the seasons are isolated though. Like it is an anthology show. So like, but but it's one of those things where like season two takes place like a period of time before season one. And it's not like you don't have to watch season one to understand season two, but it's it connects in some fun ways that are just neat. Um, season two, uh, season one is fantastic. It made me rediscover Billy Bob Thornton, who I feel like hasn't done anything worth anything in forever, and he's absolutely mm-hmm. incredible in it. And season two is uh, is a, an old school family crime story and is significantly even better than season one, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but coming from Legion, like yeah, I really really want you guys to watch to watch to go 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 hit the deck for for fargo because it's really special it's it's good especially season two all right well i got a new show to watch during work so i'm, I'm sold mm-hmm. <laughs> agreed right on no i by the way i really really appreciate you guys uh reaching out to me alana reaching out to me on twitter i'm like so happy this went down i have been dying to just blather about legion for a while <laughs> like i really really have and and you guys were were were, were super cool in, in giving me uh that platform Speaking Thank of platforms, yeah, yeah, we appreciate job. you. Yeah, it's been awesome. So uh, when we wrap up, we always like to give our guests an open platform to uh, tell people where they can find them, plug whatever projects they want to plug, uh, basically use it to to get people to come check you out. So floor is another. Pl- I get another platform. How many platforms? Oh do I get? yeah, all right, cool. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, right on. Um, yeah, I write content, as you mentioned before, for blackgirlnerds.com. Um, I write video games, comics, uh, reviews and such for them. I'm Rotten Tomatoes critic. Um, I also make a comic book called Snow Days Comic, which you can find at snowdayscomic.com. And uh, as you said, I do the podcast Black Comics Chat every other Friday, live and on Twitter, kind of like what we're doing here. Like, it's like live. You can download it later. So it's like it's, it's there. It's, it's later. It's everything. Um, I'm also occasionally on episodes of the horror podcast Scream Squad, which is part of the uh, Fan Bros Network. Um, that's with Chico Leo and Jamie Rigetti. Um, I pop up oh, yeah. time Bros. to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Reg- those guys regular are- listeners for Fan Bros. Uh, yeah, they do some great stuff. Super duper. Um, yeah, that's me. 
Cool. Much appreciated. And we'll definitely have to have you back and uh, not just to talk Legion, but other stuff. Yeah, no, no doubt. You, 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 y'all are awesome. Y'all are, y'all have super thoughtful insights. Um, I feel like, I feel like I was like the guy who couldn't shut up about how awesome the show was and Ilana tempered <laughs> me. And I really appreciate that because her insights were super valuable. Um, and oh, yeah. thank you. Let's hope. Like we, I let's said, hope I really know. like the show. I really like mm-hmm. the show. It's just I, I have critiques also. That's all. No, a critique. You know what? Like <laughs> this is again. This is like in line with that <clears throat> purity testing in culture. Like we can critique. Like critiquing is not condemnation, and yep. people sometimes fail to realize that. And I, I always celebrate that. I think it's important. It's also nice to to be able to talk about a show where we're all super excited about it and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's critiques, but at the same time, it's not where we're like, oh, this is the point where I just hated it and it completely went off the rails and ruined it for me. It feels so rare nowadays to be able to talk about, like, entertainment and geekdom in general and have that conversation. So, yay. (laughs) Yeah. Celebrate that alone. (laughs) In full agreement. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have you again and and much appreciated. All right. Thanks, you guys. Y'all have an awesome night. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. All right, peace. All right, yeah, so for those who haven't watched Legion, go do it. Uh, You've just had three people talk uh, an hour and a half about it, and rarely is, I think, everyone on board and excited about something. And if it's not apparent that all three of us are excited about this, yeah, I don't know how to sell it even more. It's an awesome series. It's really cool. It's really interesting. It's some of the best television out there, period. So go see it. It's probably on, it's definitely on demand. With uh, FX, Season 2 is at some point in the future going to happen. Uh, so go find out now before everyone starts praising things in Season 2. Um, if you're into Legion and comic books and X-Men, you should check us, check us out every single day at graphicpolicy.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, all at Graphic Policy. And Alana, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter all the time at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana Brooklyn. And I'm also on Tumblr, slightly less, Elana Brooklyn. No underscore there. Cool. Uh, so for folks who came in late listening, want to listen again, share it with friends. Um, I think that's pretty much everything you can do. You can catch us on iTunes and Stitcher. It'll be up on both of those in probably like an hour or two. And then on SoundCloud and GraphicPolicy.com tomorrow in the afternoon. So you can check that out and share it with your friends. You know, listen again. Take it on the go. Uh, and if you do go to any of those locations, please, please, please uh, give us a nice rating. You know, preferably whatever five stars, whatever the highest is on, on the various joints. So it helps. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.